uh, worship with you and uh, to deliver this lesson. Dennis, thank you for, uh, for singing that song. It'll have relevance here in just a minute. Uh, but uh, I want to begin this morning by asking you a simple question, one that I, maybe you've pondered it before, or maybe you've directed somebody along the lines of finding a mentor for their lives. Maybe there's somebody that you saw growing up as kind of a role model. You looked up to them, you wanted to be like them, you wanted to imitate their behavior. Uh, maybe it was your mom or your dad. Maybe it was a friend, maybe it was somebody at church, maybe it was a Bible class teacher or a school teacher, but maybe there was somebody in your life that you wanted to be like and you may have even called them your role model. I think it's helpful for us to look at people's lives and maybe develop a role model for our lives. And I think that's helpful for a couple of reasons. One reason I think it's helpful is because it, it shows us that we can survey another person's life and we can decide who we do or don't want to be a lot of times by looking at that other person. There's been people in my life where I looked at them and I said, man, I want to be like that person. He's my role model, I, may, I might say even. But then I look a little bit closer at their life and I realize I don't really want to be like that person at all. There are a lot of qualities, a lot of traits that I see popping up that I didn't see before. And my perspective of that person changes. And the fact that I wanted to be like somebody else or I developed that person as my role model showed me that I didn't want to be like that person at all. I also think that developing or finding a role model for our lives helps us determine what kind of person we want to be. It shows me that other people may be watching me, wanting to emulate my behavior, and that shows me that I need to change some things in my life that are not right. I need to watch my own behavior just as much as I'm watching somebody else. This is kind of what Paul was getting at, I think, in 1 Corinthians. Two times in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, be imitators of me. We probably automatically think of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1 where Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Chapter 11 and verse 1 really needs to be attached to chapter 10. Because what Paul's talking about in that chapter is it, it goes all the way back to chapter 8 and chapters 8, 9, and 10 is a fascinating study. It's all about the same idea. Be willing to forego your rights for the sake of another person. Paul did that in chapter 9 by refusing to take payment for his preaching in Corinth. Why did he do it? He had every right to receive payment for preaching the gospel. But the Corinthians had a lot of hang-ups about people who were peddlers of God's Word accepting all kinds of money for their message. Paul wanted to be different. Paul withdrew or forewent one of his rights for the sake of the Corinthian brothers. And they needed to be willing to do the same thing for each other. Be imitators of me, he said, as I am of Christ. He said basically the same thing in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 16 where he said, be imitators of me. In that context, it's a little bit different. Paul came into Corinth not with wisdom, not promoting himself, but promoting Jesus and promoting the gospel. The Corinthians were all about wisdom and all about gaining all of this knowledge and being smarter than the next person. But that's not the attitude that Paul had when he preached to the Corinthians. Paul wasn't worried about anything except the gospel of Jesus Christ and preaching it so that people may be saved. And it's in that context where Paul said, be imitators of me. I think it's helpful for us to 
either have a mentor or be a mentor to somebody else for a lot of different reasons. And I say that this morning because I believe it's a good lead-in to my lesson today. Today we're going to look at three people we read about in the New Testament. Three people that are very similar in a lot of ways, but very different too. And I want us to ask ourselves the question, which one of these people describes me? Am I Demas? Or does Mark describe me? Or does Luke describe me? I want us to begin today by just kind of surveying these, people, these people's lives and looking at some good qualities that they possess. First of all, let's look at some things about Demas. One of the things that we learn about Demas is in Philemon's, Philemon verse 24, we learn that he is a fellow worker right alongside Paul. Right alongside Paul, right alongside Luke, and others are mentioned in that passage as well. Demas was a man that I would consider to be a team player. And when we get into ministry, when we get into anything in our lives, we've got to be team players, right? How well does it work out if I'm part of a team, but I'm only working and I'm only playing for myself? What if I'm the only one trying to score the touchdown or trying to, to score the winning game, or the winning shot? It's not going to work out too well. If I'm only concerned with myself and not the rest of the team, I'm going to lose and the team's going to lose every single time. It works the same way in ministry. What happens if Demas or Paul or anybody goes into a community and everything is about them? They forget about everything else, including Jesus, including the goal at hand, and it's all about them. Well, probably people are not going to be one to the gospel. Demas seems to me to be like a team player. I've known, I've known of several mission teams that have went into the mission field. And when I say go into the mission field, I'm not talking about getting on a plane and flying overseas for a couple of weeks to do a campaign. I'm talking about a group of people going to a foreign country to devote their lives to full-time ministry. And they do well for a while, but eventually there's a big blowout. And the ministry team dissolves. Because not everybody is a team player. It seems to me that Demas, being a fellow worker, was somebody that was willing to go to bat for the gospel and go to bat for his missionary team. He seems to me to be a team player. We also learn in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14 that he was one who greeted other people. Now we might not think a whole lot about that. We send greetings all the time. If we still wrote letters today and didn't have text messages, we would send greetings with those letters. It was something that happened all the time. Every person that sent a letter in the ancient world would have a greeting attached to the beginning of that letter. And so we might not think a whole lot about that being a great quality to have. But when we think about the idea behind a greeting, what is it? It's all about spreading positivity. We don't greet people by something very wrong, very negative. That's not the way things happen most of the time. And that's not what Demas does in Colossians 4 and verse 14. Paul writes to this church in Colossae, which there are a lot of, there are a lot of uh, relationship things that are going on between Philemon and, and Colossians. And it's a, kind of an interesting study. But he writes to that whole group of people spreading positivity, wanting them to make sure that they understand not just that he's there, but that he's there to encourage them. 
Now, some people will read this and think, well, Demas is, is not a great guy, really, after all. I mean, he's just sending greetings. Paul doesn't say anything about his work. He doesn't say anything about uh, the things that he has done in the past. He doesn't say anything about that. He just is sending greetings. Well, if we can do anything, let's just be positive. Isn't that great? That we can just be positive with each other and make sure that when I leave the room, I know I not only have a smile on my face, but everybody else does too. It seems that Demas wanted people to smile. And he wanted people to be encouraged. And by the fact that Demas just sends greetings shows that he was a positive individual and he wanted to share and spread that positivity to other people. Demas looks like a very good guy. Somebody that I would like to be like and I would like to imitate. What about Mark? Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. Let's notice some things about Mark. Mark first comes on the scene in Acts chapter 12. And in Acts chapter 12, you may remember this. We, it hasn't been too awful long ago we talked about this in our morning Bible class. But Peter has been thrown in prison. Herod has killed James, the first apostle, to be killed for his faith. And he sees that the Jews like it. And so he decides to arrest Peter and throw him in jail too. And it seems that Peter is awaiting the same fate as James. But one night, there's an angel that comes, breaks the chains off of Peter's feet and hands... Regardless of the guards that are sitting there watching them, Peter kind of has this literal out-of-body experience, whatever that is, however that felt. He thought it was a dream at first. But he's being led out of this prison. The walls open up. Two gates open up. He's led out into the streets of Jerusalem. And then finally, he just, he just comes, comes to and realizes what's going on. And when he does so, where does he go? he immediately goes to the house of a woman named Mary. She's the mother of John Mark. And there are a lot of things in Mark's history, or Mark's family history, we might say, that would cause him to have great potential when it comes to ministry. Now, I say potential when it comes to ministry because in verse 25 of Acts chapter 12, it says this, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Okay, so they're going to begin their first missionary effort. But they bring Mark with them. Why in the world would Mark be a good candidate for mission work? Well, there are several things here. Notice verse 12, first of all. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Mark grew up in a Christian home, or at least a godly home, we might say. It could have been this very prayer. What did Mary do when Peter was arrested and thrown into prison? What did Mary do? She called all of her friends to her house, all of her Christian friends to her house, and they held a prayer meeting probably specifically for Peter so that he didn't see the same faith that James did. And because they're praying for Peter's safety, Peter was saved. And so where does Mark go? Mark, or, uh, Peter go? He goes immediately to this person's house named Mary who's trying to raise a godly family. Mark's got a good family background. When we move into verse 13, we read this. When he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. We learn from this verse that Mark was probably part of a wealthy family. Why would I say that? Because not your normal household has gates in the ancient world. 
if there's a gate to open up, you got to open up that gate before you walk up to Mary's house, that shows that she was a rich woman. Not everybody had that. She also has a servant girl as part of her household. Not everybody has that. Mary is a wealthy individual. And so that shows, tells me that at least it's possible that Mark can engage in ministry not really having to worry about finances. He doesn't have to worry about working during the day or at night to give himself something to eat or somewhere to lay his head to sleep at night. He doesn't have to worry about taking money from other congregations so that he can do mission work. Mark probably has a lot of funds to be able to take care of those things himself. It's another thing that is really going well for Mark and his ministry. But we also read in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10, we read that Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. The person that we learned from Acts chapter 4, the apostles themselves named what? Nicknamed him what? The son of encouragement. Mark's related to the very son of encouragement himself. What kind of encouragement do you think he would be receiving from his mission uh, team members, from Paul and from others, but even more so from Barnabas for sure? He's got that going for him as well. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 13, we learn that Peter was mentored by, or Mark was mentored by Peter himself. It says that Mark was Peter's son. That probably doesn't mean that he was converted by Peter. It probably just simply means that he worked alongside Peter. And Peter raised him up and mentored him, tried to help him grow spiritually. So he's got Barnabas, he's got Peter, he's got all of these things going for him. But there's one more thing that I haven't mentioned about Mark yet that really shows that he was a good guy. God himself chose him to pen the very gospel that we have in Scripture called the Gospel of Mark. This is the guy that wrote it. And so God felt enough about him to use him to write an inspired gospel. Mark was a guy that I'd like to be like in a lot of different ways. But what about Luke? Well, let's talk about some things about Luke. Interestingly, Luke is mentioned by name only three times in the New Testament. Now, that's interesting to me because of how much we know about Luke. We talk about Luke a lot. Uh, we, we study the books that he wrote. We, we, Luke was a great missionary guy, a great guy to emulate, but he's only mentioned three times in the New Testament. It's always been surprising to me that that's what happened. But what are some things about Luke that we can kind of, under, kind of see about him that may be good qualities? Well, first of all, he was a Gentile. And I want you to see this in Colossians chapter 4. I will say he was probably a Gentile. It's probably the right way to say that. But here's the reason why I do say that. Colossians chapter 4. And in verse 10, Paul says this. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. But then you look at verse 14 and it says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. 
All these other guys were the only men in this context of the circumcision that were there with Paul. In other words, who are those of the circumcision? Well, who are the circumcised people? The Jews. But Luke seems to be part of a different group other than the uncircumcised. And so it would stand to reason that he was a Gentile. A Gentile converted to Christianity. Somebody that may not have had any relationship to, to, the, the, to the Jews, to God, to anything perhaps. But later was converted. And so that's one thing about Luke. We learn that Luke was a fellow worker as well in Philemon verse 24, right there alongside Demas and some others. So what do we know about Luke? Well, we learn that Luke was a man that was, I like to say, in it to win it. Because what was Luke? Luke was a physician. We learn that from verse 14 as well of Colossians chapter 4. He was a physician. He was there alongside Paul and others to give them the treatment they needed if something happened. But Luke was so much more than that. Yes, Luke was a physician, but Luke was also a person that was a spiritual physician. We may think about Luke coming into a community. Paul and Barnabas going doing what they're doing. Whoever going and doing what they're doing. And Luke says, all right guys, I'll holler at you. If, uh, if any of you gets any beatings, I'll be here to take care of you. I'll wash your wounds. I'll make sure you got everything taken care of. But I'm going to go over here to the marketplace. I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to get me something to eat. Y'all go do whatever you want. That's not who Luke was. Luke was not just the physical guy. Luke was a guy that was just as much involved in ministry as anybody else. It reminds me of Luke chapter 5 and verse 31. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 31, Jesus is encountering a group of people that don't like the fact that He has called Matthew, a tax collector, to be one of His disciples. Matthew throws a party for Jesus and the rest of the disciples and they go into this house and they're sitting there uh, having this meal together and the Pharisees don't like it at all. Why is it that your master eats and drinks with sinners and tax collectors? And what does Jesus say? Jesus say? Jesus says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came to call the righteous. Or I, call, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. What's Jesus saying? that there are spiritual physicians as well. Jesus is one of them. Luke was one of them. Oh, and by the way, I didn't mention this about Luke either. He's responsible for writing about 25% of the New Testament. Two of the longest books in the New Testament were written by this guy, this Gentile named Luke. What's the longest book in the New Testament? Matthew's 28 chapters. It's not Matthew. Acts is 28 chapters. It's not Acts. It's Luke. It's only 24 chapters, but in terms of word count, it's longer than any other book in the New Testament. Matthew's second, Acts is third. Luke and Acts, both written by this guy, this Gentile, that we know to be Luke. You may look at these three guys and think, man, Mitchell, end your sermon right now. These guys are great. I want to be like all three of them. But we've got to pick one. Which one do we pick? Well, let's move on. We talk about Demas. Turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians or 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
2 Timothy chapter 4. And read verse 10. We noted a lot of good things about Demas. But look at verse 10. Paul says in verse 9, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas was a man that started well, but he didn't end well. When you look at Demas on paper and the previous things that are said about him, man, he was a great guy. He was a guy that was a team player. He was a guy that wanted to spread positivity, share it everywhere, and wanted other people to have a smile on their face whenever they left his company. But he didn't continue that way. It reminds me of what is said in Luke chapter 8 and verse 14. This is where the parable of the soils comes in. You may be familiar with that parable. We've got four soils. We've got hard soil, rocky soil, thorny soil, and good soil. The Word of God spread on all of those souls. With the hard soul, it can't take root. The seed cannot grow because it can't penetrate that hard ground. And so it doesn't generate anything. With the, thorny, or with the rocky soil, it can go down a little bit and start to grow a little bit, but the, the roots can't go down deep enough to really grab hold and really get strong so that the plant can grow the way that it really needs to. With the thorny soil, it grows. It's great. It's doing well. But the thorns choke out the growth and eventually the thorns take over and the word stops growing or the seed stops growing. But the good soil goes down, it takes root, it grows, it generates, it becomes more and more full as it receives that nutrients. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 14, we have a great description of Demas. Because what's the thorny soil likened to? It's likened to the Word of God that grows, takes root, germinates, begins to grow, but it's choked out by what? The cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. Matthew says in Matthew chapter 13, in his account, it's choked out by the cares of the world. That's exactly what happened to Demas. Does Demas describe me? Five, ten years ago, man, I was going strong. I read my Bible every day. I prayed every day. I was encouraging to other people. Other people were able to encourage me. But what happened? I started well, but I'm not going in the same direction now. Does Demas describe me? What about Mark? Turn to Acts chapter 15. There was something that we did not say about Mark earlier. We talked about the potential that he had for ministry. And his ministry started, but in chapter 15, beginning in verse 36 of Acts, we find something that's not very positive. It says, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord, and see how they are. 
Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. I don't know why Mark went back home. The Bible doesn't tell us why. But going back to to Paul's reaction here probably shows that it wasn't something like, okay, uh, he doesn't have enough money or his mom's sick or he got sick or something like that. It seems like it's something more personal than that. Like Barnabas, or excuse me, Mark just couldn't handle it. Or Mark made the decision to go when when Paul felt he should have stayed. But there's this sharp disagreement In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, right? Well, look at what Paul says in verse 5. In verse 4 he says, Love is patient and kind, but it does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. And then Paul also says, It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. Or some translations will say provoked. Or resentful. That word translated irritable irritable or provoked is the verb form of the exact same word translated sharp disagreement in Acts 15. You know what this disagreement between Mark and Paul uh, calls Paul to do? Sin. This was not a disagreement that just was very, that was kind of just very innocent, anything like that. This is something that allowed Paul to do, go to the point where he was not loving of Mark anymore. And he would write later to a group of Christians saying, don't behave this way because this is not loving behavior. Mark didn't start out well. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, Mark, uh, Paul says this, Get Mark... And bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Mark didn't start out well, but he ended very well. One of the things about our past is that it doesn't have to come back to haunt us. Our past doesn't have to make us continue on that same path. I like what Jesus said to to Peter in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. He said, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, so that your faith may continue. And then Jesus said this, When you have turned, strengthen the brothers. What's Peter going to be able to do after he denies Jesus three times? He's going to be able to use that to his advantage in ministry. He's going to be able to use that to not only strengthen himself, to not just strengthen the apostles around him, but to strengthen everybody else too. He can live his life, his Christian life, with that bad circumstance in the back of his mind, knowing that he can use it for good rather than evil. Our past doesn't have to haunt us. It may be that we didn't start out all that great. I thought I liked this Christianity stuff, but man, it was a lot more difficult than I ever thought it was going to be. We didn't do too well for the first few months, few years. 
doesn't have to stay that way. We can continue thinking about that past, but still use it to grow. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted us to think about Acts chapter, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 10. I know it does, I don't have this on the screen, but I wanted it read because it tells us in Hebrews 10 and verse 24 to stir up one another to love and good works. That word translated stirred up is the exact same word we find in Acts chapter 15 translated sharp agreement. The verb form anyway that we find in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Very negative context. Don't be irritable. Don't be provoked. But it can be used in a positive way too. Just like some of our past struggles can be used positively. Mark started out poorly, but he ended well. But what about Luke? We talked about some great things with Luke. Wrote 25% of the New Testament. Was a physician, both a physical doctor and a spiritual doctor as well. A lot of good things about Luke. Well, what's bad about him? Nothing. In 2 Timothy 4 and verse 11, Luke alone is with me. Everybody else left Paul when he was in jail. This is probably his second imprisonment before he faces death. Everybody else ran away. Demas, gone to this present world, to Thessalonica. Others, gone away to to Dalmatia, to Galatia, all these other places. But Luke stayed put. You think Luke, you think Paul wanted some company? He told Timothy to come. Come to me as quick as you possibly can. Paul wanted to spend some time with his closest associates before he was killed. Luke was one of those that never left. He stayed there. He began well, and he ended well. I wonder who rekindled the relationship between Paul and Mark. I wonder if it had something to do with Luke, that spiritual physician. I don't know. But I do know something about the ministry of Luke and how Luke continued to grow and to get better and to get more faithful day in and day out. I'm reminded of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1 where Paul writes this, Finally, brothers, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. And in encouraging them to stay faithful because day of judgment's coming and nobody knows when it's going to be. It's going to come like a thief in the night. In chapter 5 and verse 11, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. When I read those two passages, something comes to my mind and it's this. Good can always be better. I think Luke felt that. I think Luke knew when he looked on his past, when he looked on his present, when he looked on his future, that he was going to be faithful regardless. He had made up that he had made his mind up that that's what he was going to do. That's the person that he was going to be. Faithful to the Lord regardless of the circumstances. But in order for him to do that, he can't grow stagnant. He has to continue getting better each day. And the same one, the same things can be said about you and me. And so I ask this question again. Who describes me? Does Demas describe me? 
didn't start it well, but you're not ending well. If Demas describes you, I want you to know that you're here this morning because God's given you a chance to change. You don't have to continue on that same path. You can repent, come back to Him, and rededicate your life to the Lord. It may be that Mark describes me. There was a time in my life where I wasn't all that faithful, where I, there are a lot of things that I needed to work on. I'm presently working on those things now. I'm better than I used to be. Great. Keep going. Keep growing every day in your faith. Keep reaching for greater spiritual heights. The same thing goes for Luke. You're faithful from day one. You're still faithful now. Not a day in your life have you turned your back on the Lord. It's a great statement to be able to make. One of the things I love about the Old Testament and about David is 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse 5. That passage says that David did not turn away from God in all the days of his life except for the time with Uriah the Hittite. David and Bathsheba, that story. That's the only time in David's life where he turned his back on God. Some of the greatest people in Scripture turned their back on God, but they didn't have to continue that way. They turned their lives around, they rededicated themselves, and God used them for great things. Do the same thing for us, but we have to be willing to identify who we are and who do we want to be now and going forward. If you're here this morning, there's something we can do for you. I want you to know that you're in the right place. Respond to the invitation this morning. Ask for prayers. Ask for comfort and encouragement from the church. Let us help you. It may be that you're not a Christian and you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins so that you can have your sins washed away and so God can add you to His church and you can start the greatest life that you will ever have on this earth. If there's anything you, need, you feel you need to ask of the church or ask of God, please do so this morning as we stand and sing.